0: Crowd cheers
1: g'day and welcome to another week of the over and stumps cricket podcast another cricket podcast on the inner sanctum network thank you so much for everyone for tuning in up until now we've made it to episode seven and there is plenty more still to come joining me this week to talk about another really busy week in cricket well it's the night before he goes back to school but he's got enough time to come and have a yak about everything in cricket Jonty Ralph Smith is back Jonty how are you doing? Yeah I'm very well excited for this hour of cricket chat how are you Jono? I'm doing very well, thanks. I'm probably a little less anxious than you are going into the big year 12 tomorrow. Um, We do have another debutante joining us here on the Over and Stumps Cricket Podcast. She comes from out west, and you can usually find her crouching down behind the stumps um, in front of the Lily Marsh stand-end at the WACA. Her name is Rebecca Rovton, and she joins us for the first time on over and stumps Rebecca thanks so much for joining us and welcome
0: no worries thank you for having me I'm excited to be on
1: it's fantastic to have you here to talk about everything in the world of cricket as the dust continues to settle in Australia over home series loss and for India they've come home to prepare for their home series against England but they've received Almost what, well, definitely a hero's welcome. You the pictures coming out of India of everyone returning home and being absolutely mobbed in the streets as only, only Indian fans would do and absolutely mob and bound down to their heroes as... The post-mortem continues here in Australia and we've had players go back to the BBL and some are just having a rest and really recuperating after what's been a massive number of months.
0: You know, you just saw the photo of Natarajan just arriving back in his hometown and all the people on the streets all crowded around, you know, as if it wasn't COVID times, you know, no masks, no social distancing, but just the sheer excitement of welcoming home like one of their heroes must have just been awesome for them.
1: Natarajan really was the hero of the tour for India. It was Ravi Ashman did a series of interviews this week back at home and they they, they were calling um, Natarajan Natarajan because that's why he was on the tour. He came on the tour as a netballer and before, before the end of it all had broken through for his debut in all three forms of the game, which I don't think anyone was expecting, but there was a joke around the Indian camp that by the end of the tour, he would have played a test match and, Alas, circumstances happened that he, that he did, and it's just an amazing tour. The most touching image for me coming out of all Indians coming all Indians coming home was Muhammad Siraj finally getting to say say a final goodbye to his father, being at his gravestone, and so that was really touching. And it was a moment that everyone sort of looked and was like, "Okay, yeah, cricket's great, but there are greater things in life," and especially the way Muhammad Siraj. Acted and performed on this tour, it's really, really admirable. And I think everyone was glad for him that he got to go home and have that moment before a busy cricket year ahead. So talking about a busy year ahead and busy weeks ahead, it's been another it's been a week where we've sort of remind had to remind ourselves where politics and sport, as much as they shouldn't really mix, they do from time to time. And unfortunately, cricket has a habit of the two mixing and we've got a couple of instances that we're going to run through really, really quick, really, really quickly. The first instance was in the days post the test match and the amazing test series where Cricket Australia made the announcement that, would, that they would drop all um, mentions of Australia Day. They had a triple, triple header of Big Bash games coming up and Cricket Australia spoke, the Prime Minister stuck his his head up, a few other Liberal Senators stuck their head up, and then some players and um, Cricket Australia board members bit back. So it's a furor that didn't really need to happen. And considering everything that goes on with cricket and the Prime Minister's 11, which has been a massive part of the calendar for a number of years now, it's a bit rich from the prime minister to come on and say what he to say and say what he said. But even more so, I think it's a great opportunity for all of us to continue looking. And I think that was really reflected by the, by the way that everyone sort of hounded the prime minister and the, and stood by the players that did speak up and attack the, and, attack the politicians as to why this is such a big issue and why Cricket Australia almost, they, they were the ones that really read the room here and not and not the pollies in Canberra.
2: Yeah. I think what's great is that we can show that sport can be a force for good and it's obviously a cause that's greater than just sport and it's great to see, you know, everyone standing by, Mel Jones and Dan Christian and the inclusion that was shown as well
0: well a lot of people say that the Australian test captain is the second most important job in the country after the prime minister so I think that just goes to show how highly regarded cricket is in Australian culture and you know for them to take a public stance like that and have you know it can actually influence a lot of discussion and influence people to maybe take a different stance to what that they would normally take and just in addition to that, like Cricket Australia, they're so focused on, like, their grassroots cricket programs um, for, you know, Indigenous kids in rural communities. So for them to, you know, sort of stand by the Invasion Day and change the date movement is putting a lot of their money where their mouth is. That's
2: really true, I think, because um, obviously cricket, uh, there's been a few sort of stories written in the last week or so about how cricket has a bit of a history of
1: excluding the Indigenous Australians. So it is great to see that that is occurring. Yeah, exactly. And we've seen throughout the WBBL season and the men's BBL season that a lot of it's been driven by the players with some of the players with darker skin coming out to play in the league and pretty much all the teams deciding themselves to take a knee prior to the start of every single game to stand in solidarity with the blm movement and the indigenous players that are running around in australian cricket and it's a important step forward and mel jones has done a fantastic job heading up the indigenous advisory panel on the on that cricket australia board and having spokesmen and leaders like mel jones and lisa stelaika and Dan Christian really stepping up and putting a voice to all these issues that are still lingering behind the scenes. And Jason Gillespie as well has been one of the more vocal and probably the most high-profile Indigenous cricketers this country's ever had to, to this day. Ash Garden is well on her way, but to the mo- to the moment, it's Jason Gillespie standing right up right up the top. It's really important that we as cricket fans, because that's what we are at the core, we're all cricket fans is that we continue to be awake and continue standing with the players that we watch on a regular basis, come out and play fantastic cricket. And we don't, we don't want to dwell too far into the politics and the whole change the date debate, but it's something that definitely needs to be looked at. And I commend cricket Australia for all the stance that they've taken and While some people will have a bit of a whinge about it, it's certainly proved in my my book that at least that they made the right decision.
0: And you just wonder as well, like, how many of those people that are like, oh, I'm not going to watch the BBL, you know, because they've taken this stance, actually, you know, stick to their word when they say that because at its core, like, Australia and cricket, like, they're just so yeah, interweaved it's,
1: um, summertime it's cricket summed it up perfectly i reckon yeah and uh, as well the most important thing for everyone it's all about education it's all about learning more and the more that we can do to get towards reconciliation and as much as you can not change the past there's steps that you can take to make sure that there is a happier future for everyone so from broader political issues that are happening Around the country to cricket politics And the looming South Africa tour And the feasibility and the need For the South Africa tour to go ahead We'll get into the squads in a little bit of depth Very, very soon But there's a few interesting elements and threads That are coming out of this looming Proposed South Africa tour At the moment, everything looks like it's going to happen But you take a glance at everything is going on, that is going on currently in South Africa and the escalating and out-of-control COVID-19 situation that's happening over there. And you look at it and it, right, it really, for me, it boils, it boils down to 3 male points. Cricket South Africa need this tour to go ahead because this is the big cherry on the cake of their summer of cricket. They got through the Sri Lanka series, but Australia is where all the money is. And if you talk about cricket boards needing money at the moment... South Africa need the money in their back pocket as much as any cricket board and cricket nation in the world at the moment. And with all the turmoil that they've had in 2020 with the board spill and everything else and losing all their players, they need this tour to go ahead more than anything in the world. Australia, on the other hand, they need it to go ahead from the World Test Championship point of view and they need to get back into contention to play that final but it all comes down to the same question at what cost at what cost of player safety at what cost of health at what cost of cost of mental health and being bound to a bubble for another four weeks in a foreign country away from home yeah
2: australia do need it uh like you say they need to win um in south africa 2-0 or 3-0 in order to have a chance of competing that World Chess Championship final Lords later in the year. But, yeah, obviously we've seen players pull out of the BBL, and that's been talked about in previous episodes. Tom Banton and Tom Curran have suffered from bubble fatigue and with, you know, such a big year in terms of the Ashes later in the year.
1: Banton and Curran well. were in South Africa. They were meant to play that one-day series that got called off because COVID infiltrated the bubble in South Africa.
2: Yeah, yeah, you're yeah, exactly yeah. right. And that, that's another sort of element of it is that South Africa have had a part have, have had a pass now of, you know, COVID infiltrating, like you say. Now there's a new strain is which is, you know, more deadly. Is that um therefore worth the risk? Uh like I say, with the white ball world cup coming up and the ashes, and obviously there's, you know, the IPL and other stuff that the players compete in. It, there's been mention of possibly playing it at the Wacker about a month ago. That doesn't look like it's going to go ahead at all, but that might have been a you know viable alternative. But hopefully we do get to see some cricket in South Africa because it'll be a ripping series,
1: I think. Mm. And it also boils down to, and this is another element of the politics and cricket politics, is that the big three nations australia england and india they've all had test cricket played in their backyard england were the first to get back up and going with the bio bubbles and windies and pakistan were there went over and spent time in the bubble there and australia went over and spent time in the bubble there and india came out to australia and it was a long tour and they certainly let us all know that it was a really long tour and it was far away from home and it was weighing on them and now england have gone on the road and done their time on the road and it looks like it's almost Australia's turn to do their time on the road so it's as much as much as everyone is preaching safety first and safety first there's a certain deal of optics surrounding this tour in South Africa going ahead and the big three nations requiring to get up and go on the road and almost take one for the team to ensure that cricket can keep going and the ecosystem can keep turning around.
0: I think as well, there's going to be a lot of interest in this tour from the South African public, even if they can't attend, they're going to be tuning in to it from home because it's, you know, nearly two years on from the whole sandpaper gate. So it's just sort of to see you know, how the two teams are doing now. Cause like I said, the last Red Bull series there was just full of controversy.
1: It was full of controversy, not the, this won't be the first time since David Warner and Stephen Smith have been to South Africa. They were there early in 2024, some white ball games before the world stopped turning. We like, we like referring back to that time where everything was normal and you could travel around Australia freely and uh, there was seem, seemingly not a care in the world. But we digress. We live in a very different world these days. Mm-hmm. But at... What cost will Cricket Australia look to go? I think they very much want this tour to go ahead. They need this tour to go ahead. If it doesn't go ahead, well, that just leaves implications everywhere.
2: And you guys have obviously mentioned Sandpaper Gate. Two players from that controversy who were suspended on the back of that will be in there. Cameron Bancroft, obviously not. So I think the squads are worth having a look at. Mark Dekkerdy probably the major bolster and. Matthew Wade, the major omission from that Red Bull squad.
1: Yeah, so let's talk about that. The squads were named today. We'll talk a bit about the Test squad first, um, then we'll talk about the T20 squad that was picked to go over to New Zealand at the same time. 37 cricketers called up for national duty. It's quite amazing. It's a pretty standard Test squad, as you said, Jonty. No major surprises aside from Matthew Wade, given his marching orders. Joe Burns was also, well, he was jettisoned halfway through the India series and doesn't look like he'll be coming back to test cricket anytime soon. But aside from that, it seems like a pretty regulation squad, very fast bowler heavy with seven Mm. fast bowlers getting on the plane. Rebecca, I'll ask you as a proud Western Australian, I think I know what this answer is going to be, but did Jai Richardson get put in the wrong squad?
0: Because I'm such a big fan of Jai Richardson, I'm going to say yes, but I also understand the reasoning. Um, Jai Richardson, he's had a history of shoulder injuries and he's still not back to throwing. So I feel like the shorter form is just more suited to where he's at in terms of his recovery. Because if he can't throw a ball in during a three-hour T20 game, then how's he going to be expected to throw a ball, you know, for five days adding in, you know, large bowling loads?
1: i I just think I look at I look at the test squad and the bowlers and okay you've got your big three in stark hazelwood Cummins Mike Ma- Michael kneeszer James Patterson. okay yeah those two are almost clearly next up but to i Something about Jai Richardson's name being there over the likes of a Mark Steckity or a Sean Abbott or a Moses Enriquez, it just provides that bowling attack and bowling unit that's going over there with a bit more zip and pizzazz and excitement and something that can make you go like, okay, yeah, if unfortunately one of the big guys does have to miss a test match, then there's known quantities and quality just sitting there on the bench waiting to come in.
0: And just the other thing with him as well is we've seen him perform. We saw him do it against South Africa here. He's sort of, you know, he's able to swing the ball both ways, which is a really handy skill to have. And, you know, Mitchell Stark wasn't getting a lot of swing in the last series, so maybe Jai Richardson could be a solution for bringing that swing into the side.
1: Fast, fast bouncy decks in South Africa as well usually help him. Um, I guess the other element is who replaces Matthew
2: Wade in the middle of order. Do you give Travis Head another chance? Obviously, he averages the best part of forty in Test match cricket. Um, someone had to be omitted, and he—it was a line ball decision between himself and Matthew Wade. He got the axe. I—I I would like to see him back, but the other options, Moses Enriquez, he adds a bit of all-round value. But when
1: you've already got Cameron Green, is that necessary? Marnus Labuschagne as well. Well, well, I'll, well. I'll ask you this, and I, I raised this question last week. If you've dropped Travis Head in favour of Matthew Wade, and then you drop Travis Head, then you drop Matthew Wade because it's not up to it, he didn't make the most of his opportunity, is going back to Travis Head the solution?
2: Yeah, it's, it's it is an interesting debate. I guess he's been around the Test squad for so long, and he seems the logical next man in. But you might be right. Maybe giving Moses on Rick's a go could be the way to go. Having said that, it might have just been a matter of giving him a couple of, you know, a couple of tests out of the squad. Um, almost to kick up the backside in a way. And hopefully that makes him perform in South Africa. Because I didn't think he looked bad in the two matches he played. Having said that, we probably always
1: say that about Travis Head. He always gets starts, doesn't he? Yeah, he's got a he's got a habit of starting really well, looking really good, and then throwing it away. Talking a bit more broadly now, obviously the Test squad was named. And also great to see Will Pukowski named in that test squad, obviously. his shul- He looked very good on debut and his he's shul- avoided shoulder surgery and looks like if he's fit, he's going to take his place. It's just a question of where they slot him into the batting order.
0: I think he looked very comfortable as an opener. You know, we all saw how he went in shield. He had the highest first wicket partnership with Marcus Harris. But I just think Will Pukowski is more comfortable as an opener and he offers that solution to a problem that Australia has been struggling with for a very long time they've tried Renshaw, Burns, Bancroft, Harris but I think Will Pekowski is definitely the answer and definitely worth persisting with as an opener.
1: So, 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 as we said there's 37 players called up to represent their country in both test matches or T20s to you Jonty. Is Usman Khawaja really not in the best 37 cricketers in the country at the moment?
2: Yeah, it's funny. When you ask it like that, he definitely is. He's such a watchable cricketer and he's got the Test match experience. He's proven. Um, but, you know, if you aren't going to include him in the Test squad, if you think you're going to go on Reeks over him, which is probably that final spot in the middle order, then he probably doesn't get the nod because in the BBL, he sort of tapered away after a somewhat promising start. Um but, yeah, I guess the fact that, you know, so many players are away and the fact that he can't break into the squad now might suggest that his time in the Baggy Green really is over. The Baggy
1: Green and the one day International and T20 side. It's been a big fall from grace for was Kouaz. Like, 20, 2019 leading into that 50-over World Cup, he was the leading run scorer in the format. Obviously, Smith and Warner come back and he loses his spot at the top of the order drops down to number four to accommodate Steve, Steve Smith and David Warner coming back, and ever since then it's just been axing. Never really got a go at it at T Twenty T Twenty cricket at the at the top level for Australia. But I suppose yeah, good good luck fitting him into that top order, especially in that squad that's staying now with Wade Finch and Josh Philippe at the top of the order as well. So there's plenty of cricketers and not many. Good spots available It's a really interesting one And I think it spelt the end for Usman as well Unfortunately to you Rebecca We've spoke about Jai Richardson before And where where we think he should go But is there anyone who you feel Anyone else who you feel has been selected In the wrong squad?
0: Maybe Mark Um, I just think he was the second highest wicket taker In the BBL this season Obviously Our top bowlers, they're all naturally going to be playing test. Um, I think it wouldn't hurt to see him play T20 for Australia before he goes to test level. But other than that, I can't really think of anyone else.
2: The uh, only thing I would say to that, while I'm not going to suggest any individuals um, necessarily, is I think that Australia, again, with their batting order in the T20 format, they've got got way too many top-order players. McDermott's uh, got a bat in the top three. He's been tried and failed as a late-order finisher Stoyness takes a while to get into his innings. You've got Phillippe, you've got Wade. They're all sort of openers or top three batsmen. And I don't feel like you've got anyone that's in form that can come in and face 10 or 15 balls and really finish off the innings. I know that, you know, Mitch Marsh has been included and he should play. But other than that, there isn't anyone really. There's Ashton Turner, but his form's been a bit um, up and down in the BBL. Daniel Sams might play that role,
1: but he's a bowling all rounder. Likewise, Jai Richardson. Yeah, it's an interesting one. This may may be a very early quick single, Jonty, but straight off the cuff, do you want to give us your starting 11 for the first T20? Well, I wouldn't include Finch, but
2: clearly Finch is going to be included as the captain. So Philippi up the top with um, Finch, Wade at three, Maxwell at four, Marsh at five, Stoinis at six, and you sort of hope he can he can hit some out of the park, even though that's not his natural position. I don't feel like Ashton Turner's really commanded that spot as much as Marcus Stoinis has. Stoinis obviously offers some scene bowling as well. Mm-hmm. Sam's at seven, both Richardson's, but Jai Richardson at eight because he's better, better than Kane. Um, Jai Richardson at eight. If you want two spinners, then you go Sanger and Zampa and Richardson at 11. Otherwise, you bring in
1: AJ Ty for me instead of Sanger if you only wanted the one spinner. It's a tremendous story, Tan Viesanger, 18 years old, taking the BBL by storm and is bolted into national consideration. Yeah, it is. And it's great because that's what the
2: that's a you know, that's what the BBL was brought in for in one way, you know, to promote domestic cricket to get them playing with the best in the world. And the fact that Tanvi V has been a product of that. We've seen Wes Agar's been able to do it as well, but Tanvi Sanger actually, you know proven results in the BBL and being able to now get selected for Australia and push his case for higher honours, it's, it's great to see that they're taking that form seriously.
1: It's nice to see him are with some form immediately as well, not having to wait a number of months until the next T20 assignment rolls around. Rebecca, to you before we move on, out of the test squad, who's playing for their career in South Africa if it goes ahead?
0: Um I'm going to go with Travis Head just purely because of that, you know, pattern we mentioned earlier. He gets off to a really good start and then he just drops off. So I think if he can prove that he can crush that habit, then he's definitely got a place in the side. Otherwise, if he doesn't, then I think his place might go to someone else. They'll look for someone else to replace him.
1: Just speaking of people looking for looking to replace that spot on the team. Do you think the inclusion of Alex Carey in the test squad? Okay. Yeah. Spare keeper, obviously, but is there a chance that they may use him as a specialist batsman? I think if they did use him
2: as a specialist batsman, that would clearly suggest that he is the, you know, heir apparent to take over Tim Payne's role, not only with the guys, but also with the captaincy, because I don't, think you would otherwise play him as a batsman i think enrique is Henriques is still ahead of him um but if you do want him to assume the captaincy it'd have to be after the ashes now because he can't be changing just before an ashes series but if you did want him to assume it next year then i think he has to play some matches as a specialist
1: batsman first and what better opportunity than in south africa definitely so from test cricket that might go ahead to test cricket that has gone ahead in the last couple of weeks in beautiful tropical Gaul. Um, England and Sri Lanka have played a two test series and England have won two new two nil would have been nice if there was a place to watch it on TV in Australia. So thanks to Sri Lankan cricket for providing a stream on YouTube for the first game but not for the second game so it was very very good this was the first two of about 17 test matches that England will play in 2021 their schedule is absolutely packed with a full home summer an Asher series and an Indian tour that is about to move on Rebecca Joe Root is found some form
0: yeah a lot of people are beginning to say that like you know, that big four group just wasn't a thing anymore because the likes of Joe Root, Steve Smith, Virat Kohli was obviously out with his kid. Um, and, you know, came <laughs> Williamson towards the last test series sort of season, they were saying that that might not have been a thing anymore. But Joe Root, I think, has really come back and, you know, said, hey, like, you know, I'm still one of the best four batsmen in the world. You know, he got century after century, and it was just awesome to see him find that form and be able to convert.
1: Yeah, it was great for him. But in fairness to, in fairness to England and everything, like the Sri Lankan team that they were playing against, they were struggling for men across two series. And you know, fair fair play to them for making a fist of it. And there was some enthralling Test cricket, even though England ended up winning quite convincingly, but across the two games, in two innings in particular, um, they might have put in two of the worst displays of batting you're ever likely to see.
2: Well, that's exactly right. You talk about um, the fact that they might have been slightly weakened and struggling for men, but the fact is there was a lot of India in the second innings, in Adelaide, in a couple of Sri Lanka's innings, in that they did a lot of hard work, particularly the second test First innings where they got 350 odd on the board and then just, you know, capitulated and lost it in the session, um, which was really unfortunate because there were times of strapping up to be a good match, but unfortunately they couldn't sustain it. And I guess that speaks volumes also of the English bowling attack in the first innings in that second match. Well, the quickies in the first innings got all 10 wickets. The second innings, yeah, the spinners got all 10.
1: And Joe Root contributed with a couple as well, his part time offies. Yeah, he certainly had a big game and a big series there, Joe Root. They move on to India now to play a 4 test series. And I think it's, I think it goes without saying that if England do want to compete with India, they need more than just Joe Root to stand up there. Selection has been quite interesting with the rotation policy and trialling Johnny Bairstow at number three and then resting Johnny Bairstow for the first couple of test matches. I would think if you're trying to start off a series against India, you want to pick your best team. But I guess England have a plan and it might be one that proves fruitful. We'll never know. Maybe we will if they win the ashes and they've got a lot of batting depth. Might be an ominous sign. Well, certainly a lot of cricket for England to negotiate there from Sri Lanka and India to... I guess, over the fence in this subcontinent. Pakistan and South Africa, it's fantastic to see live cricket being played again in Pakistan, in Karachi, the first test, getting underway between Pakistan and South Africa. It's great to see just some of the world's best cricketers back in action. Kahisa Rabada is back, is back bowling fast for South Africa, which is a warning for all Australian batsmen out there that is back and he is in, at, in a, at his wicket, wicket-taking best. And it, even Baba Azam for the host, I know he got out last night, got a really good ball from Keshav Maharaj in the first innings to dismiss him. But he's just one of the best batsmen in the world to watch. He's very easy on the eye.
2: Yeah, exactly right. I know. Rebecca, you're talking before about the Big Four, and does it still exist? And I think another thing that's been talked about a little bit is has Babar taken over Joe Root's place, or certainly added himself to that elite group. Um, and I'll be really interested to see how he goes this series. Obviously, like you said, coming back in, um, hope it goes well because, like you say, he's a very
1: watchable cricketer, isn't he? Very, very easy on the eye, and one of the great stories to emerge from. Pakistan's test squad, it was a new test squad after the, well, really bad, disappointing series that they had in New Zealand. But Harris Ralph got included in the test squad. Now, this time last year is playing grade cricket in Tasmania, gets plucked to come play in the Big Bash and almost 12 months and change later, he's represented his country in two out of the three forms of the game and is seemingly on the cusp to play test cricket. It's one of the most remarkable stories that I think this game's seen in a long time. <laughs> now That's the funniest
2: thing I've seen for a long time. Now, how many of you picked this up? I can't believe it, and he can't either. All
1: right, so we had a break from this segment last week. I'm sorry, what? It's almost the segment where... We whinge a little bit, or sort of go, "Hang on, what what did I just see?" Because cricket's a pretty funny game, and this week it's well, it's all you, John T. You've brought something to the table very, very late in the piece, and it's kind of made us all do a bit of a double take. Yeah, well, something obviously with
2: we we're talking earlier about Joe Root, one eighty six he made in the Test match against Sri Lanka. Unfortunately, his innings ended with a run out. He takes over Jeffrey Boycott and Matt Pryor with that run out as being the most run out English batsman in test history with eight. Um, Now, for someone who struggles, gets starts, gets himself out, you know, questions over his mental ability, and that brings down his average a little bit because he's not able to go on with his innings, you'd hope someone like that doesn't give their wicket away in that fashion because, you know, if they're already struggling with, converting as it is the last thing you need is them going out when it's not their fault from a batting perspective so um unfortunate but hopefully it's something that Joe can fix um because we certainly well I guess from Australian perspective we wouldn't mind seeing him go out that way in the ashes because he's such a good batsman but from a cricketing perspective more broadly you don't want your best batsman in the biggest
1: series in the world to be dismissed that way I'm trying to work out now what's more aesthetically pleasing from an Australian point of view. Is it Pat Cummins Cummins bowling Joe Root hitting the top of off stump or is it Joe Root getting run out? Or is it
2: getting him LBW, um, you know, halfway up because they try to draw him across and, you know, then get one that swings back in? I know they've gone with that plan before, but, yeah, um, Yeah. Joe Root's had some success against Australia, so it'll be (laughs) interesting to see how he goes. Joe Root's been run out eight times in Test Cricket. Yeah, it, it, nothing compared to, That's you know, like an Al Hak though, but still beats the
1: record for the English. Indy, <laughs> uh, indie Indy, Indy. Let's move on. The Big Bash has finished. We're not going to do a massive talk about this now. We might save this for next week and do a big forensic pull apart of everything when all is said and done, but the league stage is done. You can't exactly call it a home and away season this year because it was all in hubs and amazing credit to Cricket Australia for being able to get it going and with crowds, it's been amazing. Okay, yeah, it might it might have gone for too long, but we do have a final five. Actually, maybe that's a bit of an I'm sorry what as well. Like, I don't, I don't know how it's possible for how you can have a team of eight and more than half the teams in the competition actually make the finals. One of the teams that didn't make the finals is the Melbourne Stars. Jonty, you've written an analysis piece on the website as to where it's all gone wrong for the Stars. It's just another failure in another competition, which is seeming to be, well, it is quite the habit. Yeah, uh, I guess to give a rundown, it's
2: on the the inner-sainting.com.au, but just to give a rundown on, yeah, the sort of things I've touched on. Um, clearly, there might be a, a mental side of it as well, that every time it comes to a must-win game now, you know, it just builds up every time. They haven't got over the line, haven't got over the line. But I think the two, you know, areas where they really have struggled with this season is not finishing off their hard work with some good death bowling. They've recruited Nathan coulton nile He hasn't filled that void. Young Liam Hatch has been tried, but at the end of the day, he's still a youngster. He's still developing in cricket um so you know they've got themselves into winning positions had their opposition needing 13 14 15 off the last three overs and and failed to close it out and the other thing is dot balls when they're batting they average eight dot balls more than their opponents per innings and especially in the first power play they average more than half their balls are dot balls on average so yeah i just think They're not scoring high enough totals at times. The average score is one forty-seven, and then but yet they are often able to you know squeeze teams um, at start matches, but then their death bowling lets them down.
1: They're they're quite startling statistics when you read it all out like that for one of the glamour teams of the competition, and you look at their list and they're absolutely stacked. And for them to just keep perennially underperforming, it's quite it's quite alarming. Yeah. Yeah,
2: it is, and it's yeah, like you said, especially for a glamour team, and um, yeah, I guess it sums up their decade. But yeah, um, Stoyness, Maxwell Nick Puran went while he was here. Andre Fletcher's a globe trotting T Twenty specialist. wasn't able to get the best out of him. Hilton Cartwright, he is a positive story to the Stars though. He has been awesome this year. He's been really powerful, good late hitting at the end.
1: How about his bombs at the MCG in the last game? He was hitting them almost a punt road right oval. Yeah.
2: Um, Shane Warne is known to exaggerate the size of sixes from time to time, but, you know, that was huge. They were 120 metres, surely. Um, he always says 100 metres, got to be, but that 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 had to be 100 metres. That was
1: huge. He was six, yeah. either- Definitely rivaling Simon O'Donnell's massive hit. Definitely rivaling. Rebecca, your scorches there peaked at the right time.
0: Yeah, very pleasing to see. At the start of the year, I think they lost three or four in a row and not a lot of people had them, you know, making finals or if they did, finishing maybe fourth or fifth. But, you know, they managed to rise above it and come in second, which was awesome to see. Um, yeah, it's just a shame about that game against the Melbourne Stars that got rained out because if we won that, we could have been a chance for first. Funny. But, you know.
2: I would it's... actually go the other way and say I reckon the Stars would have actually won that even though they were it was probably 50-50 or even 45-55 and that might have allowed them a chance to make finals. Anyway, there's all up, up butts and ifs. At the end of the day, yeah. finals and... You know, they have been one of the best teams in the form team going into finals. The only question I would have, though, is they've hardly used any players outside of their best 11. I know Bancroft's come in a little bit, but outside of that, if they did get an in- an untimely injury, you know, with someone like a Sam Whiteman or a Curtis Patterson or from a bowling perspective, you know, do they have the backup stocks there with enough experience this season? Are they
1: a bit green?
0: Um. I mean, bowling-wise, we do have Matt Kelly. He can bowl a really lethal Yorker. Had a good um,
1: season either last year or the year before Matt Kelly. He
0: he had a good start to last season, but I think just the end of the year he became more fatigued and his form just went out of whack. Yeah. Um, but I think if he needed to, they, the Scorchers would definitely back him in. Um, Batsman, we've been with Cam Bancroft. You know, he can come in and hit the boundaries in the middle when we need to. So I think on that front, we're okay. Yeah, I think I think just the key for the Scorchers is that opening partnership between Livingston and Roy. You know, they're, they're, they've made over 500 runs together as a partnership. So they're just so crucial to the Scorchers' success.
1: Mm-hmm. Certainly one area where the Scorchers have been successful this year is that they're overseas players. They've all contributed in Livingston and Roy as you just said Rebecca at the top of the order and then Colin Munro coming coming in at number three and has made a number of 50s and really important runs and then it's class batting order all the way down with the likes of Josh Inglis and Mitchell Marsh and Ashton Turnick and hit a really long ball on his day Um, but it's an interesting top five you've got the strikers you've got the both Sydney teams in the Sixers and the Thunder who have been up there for most of the year. And then you've got even the Brisbane Heat who have just snuck in. And there's a real case to be made here, Jonti, that I guess really any team could win it. More, more uh, obviously, better equipped than others, but any team could have a day out and win it.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, we talked about Perth, their opponents, the Sydney Sixers in the first V second play, final have been going extremely well themselves. I mean, from a batting perspective, Dan Hughes has looked really good at stages. Jordan Silk's probably had a career-best season. He's really increased his strike rate. Josh Phillippe, he got selected for Australia off the back of his ripping form. Um, James Vince has proven in the BBL and Dan Christian um, offers them a six-bowling option and hitting at the end. So some teams he, can't he, just, is he, he is amazing, Dan Christian. Yeah, absolutely. He is amazing. Probably the only question mark i have over the sixes is do uh, do they lack a bowler who can keep it economical? Carlos Brathwaite hasn't been at his best, Sean Abbott can be expensive, Jake Ball has been expensive.
1: Stephen O'Keefe's been good though. for um, them. Yeah, and then, I, I think he injured himself in the last game. Across town though, the Sydney Thunder. They've well, their top order's really been filing firing with Alex Hales, the golden Golden bat, the most runs has been batting out of his skin, really. Yeah, he has been. Uh, I guess the only question mark
2: over the Thunder or probably the major question mark is if Alex Hayes does fail in a final. You know, you don't want to be over a line on too few. We talked about the Stars. They've been sort of um, – that's sort of been a problem they've had with Zampa, Stoinis and Maxwell. If he fails, with the likes of Billings, Ferguson – able to step up. You'd think they would because they've got so much experience. And from a bowling perspective, Sanger, as we've talked about, has been really good. And it's not a really reputable bowling attack like Nathan McAndrew, Brendan Doggett. They don't sound lethal. But at the end of the day, they've won games. They won their last game, which is really important for them as well because they've lost a few in a row. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they go in third spot. I think Adelaide Strikers, they finished fourth. I think they've also got a good bowling attack with Wes Agar, Daniel Worrell, they're both ball, water,
1: dot balls. And Liam O'Connor's filled the void of Rashid Khan really well. He's tried to fill the void of Rashid Khan, I don't yeah. think. I don't I don't think anyone can truly replace Rashid Khan. But in, in a word, Rebecca and Jonty, who wins it?
0: Uh, scorch is going to be biased.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I said the Heat two weeks ago, and I'm going to stick with the Heat. I think the Sixers are going go back to go back-to-back just... For the way that they've structured up and the way that they are playing cricket, we're nearly done, but it's time for a few of these. So, quick singles. It's the time of the show where we just piff questions at each other and we have to answer them. So, Rebecca, as the debutante, you've got the new ball.
0: Okay, so... Who was the stiffest Aussie to lose their IPL contract?
1: Uh, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say Steve Smith, the captain of the Rajasthan Royals last year, pinged around a lot in the batting order to try and accommodate all the superstars that he had in, and try to find their right mix in Ben Stokes and Josh Butler, and was trying to manage everything. Stephen Smith, and for him to lose his contract, I understand it's what they do as part of the IPL and they go into the open draft and they can buy them back or bid them back, but for a captain, like, yeah, he didn't have the greatest campaign either, but I just thought that was pretty stiff. The others, uh, it wasn't a fantastic year for all Australians in the IPL, given the fatigue and the away from home, but everyone was away from home in the IPL. John T, off the back of his form, Will Alex Hales play for England again? Um, I think the way to look at it is um, from an Australian
2: perspective, um, or from sorry, not just an Australian perspective, from an international perspective. Having looked at what he can do in the IPL, I think a great measure is who would you, who would the opposition least want to be in your batting lineup? And I think Alex Hales is certainly one that would be feared coming up against um, because he's so experienced and he's shown how much form he's in in the BBL. So I think he should, yes. Rebecca, will Peter Hatzeglou get picked up in the IPL?
0: Well, definitely an interesting thought. I don't think so. Um, Just purely because Adam Zampa put his name up for the auction last year and he wasn't picked up by any team. He was only included as a replacement for Kane Richardson. So, I think if they're not going to select a player like Adam Samper, then it's very unlikely that Peter Hatziglou would be picked up. But in saying that, I would not be opposed to him playing IPL. He was definitely a standout in this year's Big Bash. Jono, did the power surge enhance the competition?
1: I think it did. I was very skeptical of the new rules and innovations coming into this year. But I really, for, for the Big Bash games that I did watch, um, because I didn't watch a lot of them but the ones that I did watch I really enjoyed the power surge I enjoyed looking at the different tactics that different teams were employing and when to take it and who left it too late and who took it too early and who used it to capitalize on momentum and who used it to kickstart their innings again and gain the momentum so I found it really interesting and it was a real game changer especially as we got late in the tournament as to who was going to manage the power surge correctly and get themselves back into the game or try finish try finish the game a little bit earlier with the fielding restrictions and yeah it's the same you know same thing as the batting power players teams try to go a bit too hard and end up losing a clump of wickets or one wicket but i really liked what it did to the competition this year out of all the new rules and innovations I think that one was a very big success. Rebecca, I know this,
2: I have a feeling I know the answer to this question, but why are people so hung up on the fact that Tim Payne hasn't made a century?
0: I think Adam Gilchrist, who is a generational player, has set unreasonably high standards for wicket keepers. But when you look at the facts, in the 143-year history of Test cricket, only six wicket keepers that have played for Australia have actually made a century and it's only happened 31 times, you know, 17 of which were Adam Gilchrist. So they still have this preconceived notion that wicket keepers just need to be like Adam Gilchrist and just constantly get those centuries. However, the title is wicketkeeper batsman, Wicketkeeper primary to batsman. So naturally they should be selected for their keeping and then their batting. It's a keeper's job to stabilise the batting order when it's maybe had a little bit of a collapse or they just need to get that one final boost. And I think Tim Payne is doing that job just fine. And I, I bring you back to that man-of-the-match winning performance in Adelaide where he made 73 not out when the only other person to make more than 20 runs was uh, Manus Labuschagne. So I don't think it's a big deal. He hasn't made a century yet.
2: Jono, are the vic. Victorian cricket team doing the right thing and promoting young talent ahead of Glenn Maxwell and Aaron Finch
1: in Red Bull cricket? My heart says no, because I would really want to see Glenn Maxwell and the test team as much as that's not going to happen, but my head says yes. And I think it's a strong move from Chris Rogers, the Victorian coach to prioritize the youth. And you saw from the renegade season than as much as they've turned to youth and Victoria's turned to youth in recent years, that there are some decent young Victorian cricketers who need to get a chance and to give them the best chance that they have in Australian cricket moving forward, they need all the opportunities that they can get at state level. And I think this is going to lead into the next question a little bit, but the more opportunities that, they can get to press their claims to play cricket for Victoria and for Australia. It's only going to strengthen Australian cricket in the long run. Um, So, as I said, following on from that, Jonty, with so many players on national duty, what is the rest of this Sheffield Shield season going to mean? Like, is it going to be diluted? Yes, it will. And
2: something that, um, Peter, Peter not a glue Peter Hanscom talked about in the in the interview with the age um, a couple of days ago obviously the uh, yeah Daniel journey um, pride themselves on being an eminent sort of competition domestic competition but yeah when you take out 37 of the best cricketers plus there's probably two or three who are injured so say 40 of the best cricketers, uh, out it is going to be a bit diluted, which might make it hard for guys who are still in the Sheffield Shield haven't quite got selected. It's something like a Joe Burns, if he does score a couple of centuries, does he get in, his name back in lights, or or not quite? Is is the form taken seriously enough? Because you know the bowling attack might be weakened. It will be interesting to see. Um, yeah, certainly a, a good discussion point. Um, Rebecca. Who's the unluckiest omission from the T20 squad.
1: There's a Perth Scorchers batsman, which I know you're dying to say. You just can't (laughs) think of it.
0: Josh Inglis. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I I just think he's been really solid for the Scorchers in that number four position. Um, Like we said earlier, there's sort of an oversaturation of opening batsmen. He's a middle-order batsman in T20, and I just think he could have added a lot to the side.
1: How many wicket keepers do you need in the squad?
0: That's true, but he offers the batting.
1: He does. And, Rebecca, one last one for you before we wind it up as well. Who is closer to playing a test match for Australia, Michael Neeser or James Pattinson?
0: I'm going to go Michael Neeser just because James Pat- Pattinson had an injury cloud. Um, hanging over him earlier on in this year. And Nisa has been on the sidelines for a very long time. And I just think it's time for him to, you know, actually get a taste of Test cricket as a bowler, not, you know, 12th man.
2: Just before we wrap it up, I do just want to add a little bit to that. I think, Michael Nisa, if you're going to play him and you're going to prove that you do want to play him in the baggy green and not just have him as a perennial 12th man. You're going to play him in South Africa because those are the conditions that really, really suit him. Um, And yeah, I, I do agree with that. They both obviously offer something with the bat as well. Um, But there was a bit of talk about uh, reinventing James Pattinson into a white ball specialist so that his talents aren't completely lost to Australian cricket because he was playing in an era where, you know, there's generational talents, Cummins, Patence, Cummins, Stark and Hazelwood. Um, So I was surprised to see him in the test squad, not in the ODI squad, because I think if you are going to sort of reinvent him as that white ball bowler, as has been talked about a little bit in the last few days, you'd want to start in New Zealand, wouldn't you?
1: Anyway, it's an interesting conversation point. Yep. Certainly is. Plenty going on in the world of cricket. We think we've covered everything Today and that's another week for the over and stumps podcast if you like what we do here you can find us on twitter at over and stumps you can check out all the work that we do on the inner sanctum network at www.theinnersanctum.com.au and you can find us on instagram as well at inner sanctum underscore au um guys it's been fun rebecca well done on debut. solid first outing thank you Jonti, awesome from you again, youngster. Perfect. Thank you, Jono. It's been a great deal of fun. And we'll see you all next week. That's over and stumps.